Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to get right into God's Word, because I want to finish the breastplate of righteousness tonight. So to do that, we better pray. (laughs) I plan to spend one week on this, and I know it's shocking to you, but it's managed to grow into additional studies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your grace that's upon our lives and upon your Word. And we pray right now, Father, as we open your word, that you would take this word off of these pages and breathe them into our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. Father, in this day and age, we need to learn to discern the voices that are speaking to us, discern between the voice of our, your spirit and our spirit and the voices of other voices that we hear so that we can know your direction, know your correction, know your encouragement. And we thank you, Father, for the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're learning about the armor of God because the Bible tells us that all of us are in some form of spiritual warfare. And the Bible teaches us that God has given us the equipment that we need. God has determined what we need. And God, since He is always victorious, what He's provided for us is, is what we need. And very often what we try to do is we try to handle these situations on our own, with our own understanding. And the Bible gives us very clear instructions on how to handle spiritual warfare. And all of you are in some degree of spiritual warfare. All of us are. And so that's why this is in here. There are other things we're going to learn maybe later on. But this is really what I feel God teaching us right now. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10, read down through it. And then we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Now those three verses tell us some very key things. First of all, it tells us that there's a battle that's going on, that we are in the middle of this battle, and it tells us what to do. It tells us to be strong in the power of His might. And we may all nod our heads and say, yes, but are we all being strong in the power of His might? Our human nature wants to handle things ourselves, and God tells us to handle things in His strength. Second thing it tells us is that the battle that's going on, the weapons, it tells us what the weapons are. There's the power of God on one hand, and then verse 11 says against what we stand against, the wiles or the tricks or the deceits of the enemy. So don't get afraid of his power, don't get afraid of what he can do, other than to be alert and realize his weapon against you is deceit, is wiles, is tricks. He's the master con man. And the reason he has to con you and deceive you is because he doesn't have the power against you. He has mighty power, but when you came to Christ, the Bible says you were taken out of his domain and you were transferred into the dominion of, into the kingdom of God's Son. So you're not in his kingdom, that's not where you belong, but you have an assignment whereby you are here right now for a job to be done and in, so that we're in his world the Bible, he, the Bible says Satan is the god of this world for now so the world you're in that's why things happen the way they do but he does not have authority over us instead we have authority over him but what he's master, masterful at is conning us into using the authority God's been given to us against ourselves and the primary weapon that we use against ourselves is located between your nose and your chin, your mouth. We'll learn more about that later. So we see that the weapons aren't even fair. Then the next thing, verse 12, tells us who we're fighting against. Look to your left, 
And look to your right. It's not them. Because it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's your wife, your husband, your kids, your children, your grandchildren, your, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, even your pastor. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this age. Now, we're coming into what is commonly known as the Halloween season. It's when people get, you know, make fun of spooks and things like that. And the devil loves that. Because if he can't get you to believe he's not real, he'll get you to laugh at him and not take him seriously. We don't need to be afraid of him, but the devil is real. Demonic spirits are real, but angelic spirits are also real. The Bible clearly talks about them. Jesus, it says, was confronted and confronted the devil. Talks about legions of angels ministering to him. They're very real. Just because you haven't seen one doesn't mean they're not real. And in fact, that's really the enemy that we have. Verse 13 tells us what to do. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, the first part of, part of the armor we've already looked at is in verse 14. It says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist or your belt with the belt of truth. We saw that the reason truth is the first thing we have to put on is because God is truth. And this is not some literal armor that you're putting on. When we get through with this, you'll see this is literally putting God on. And God is truth. Therefore, God only deals in truth. So the beginning of having God protect you, because that's really what we're talking about. In this spiritual battle, having God protect you instead of handling it yourself. The first thing to do is make sure you're walking in truth. First of all, truth with yourself, and then truth with God. Because you're not going to fool God, but you can fool yourself. And if you're fooling yourself, you're not going to be open and honest with God. So it begins by being honest with yourself. That means if you've done something wrong, face it. God has a way out. But when we lie, when we, when we try to you know, spin things, that's our way of protecting ourselves. In order to God for, for, for God to protect you, you've got to come to Him and be honest about it. Admit it. That's how you get free of things in the Bible. In the kingdom of God, the way you get free of guilt is admit it. Confess it. The word confess just means acknowledge you own it. Confess it and then bring it to the cross and repent. All right. Then the next thing we begin to look at is the next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And what we saw is the purpose of the breastplate in the armor of those days is to protect the heart, which is the most vital organ. And that's consistent with what the Word of God tells us spiritually because it says, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard, protect your heart with all diligence because out of it, out of your heart, flow the issues of life. And what we've seen is Satan's number one thing, if he can, first of all, he wants to get you into deception by getting you to, to lie, getting you to deceive yourself, getting you to not deal in truth. And then what he wants to do is begin to sow into your heart his own seeds. And we're going to see what they are the next in a few of these items down the road. But what he wants to sow in your heart are his own seeds because if he can get them to grow out of your heart, they're first of all going to contaminate you. And then it says in Hebrews that once they begin to grow in you, they will literally, it is a root of bitterness, will grow up in you and it will end up polluting other people. And that's what he wants to do. And I've shared with you the main thing I have to be careful of is what gets sown in my heart. Because if there's any place Satan would like to sow discontent, strife, envy, jealousy, 
anything in my heart. It'll be in my heart because if it gets in my heart, it's going to come out of my mouth to you. And the Spirit, remember Ed Cole teaching this, you've got to be careful who you listen to. Because if you, and that's just casually, but if you listen to somebody all the time, you will eventually, the Spirit that they're operating in will eventually come through to you. That's why the Bible tells us in a lot of Proverbs about being careful who you associate with because you'll begin to pick up their attitudes, their spirit. And so the breastplate is is to protect your heart from what's going to get into it from the outside. And we've seen that the very first part of that defense is the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, there's two sides to this that the Bible teaches. The first side is living right before God. You don't hear a lot about that nowadays. And we go through cycles because 40, 50 years ago, a little longer than that, we had in the church what was called the holiness movement, which was, you know, if you, if you, if you do the wrong thing, you know, you're all going to hell. And, 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 and it was trying to burn a sense of righteousness into people, and, but it was doing it from the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And instead of encouraging people to live right, it condemned people. But, but the, the underlying motive was right. It's we are to live right before God. But the motive for living right before God is we love Him. We want to please Him. When we t- I talked about my relationship with my wife. You know, we got married 44 years ago. We didn't sit down and negotiate what can I get away with and what can I get away with. How many nights a week do I have to come home? Because if I did that, that's not a marriage. Then why did I get married? The marriage is because I want to give myself to her. I'm not trying to find out how much can I get away with. I'm trying to grow and learn and mature to find out how much more of myself I can give to her. Well, the same is true with God. If you're trying to find out what you can get away with, you need to step back and find out what is the basis of your relationship with Him to begin with. And so we discussed that. And then we came back and discussed it again a little bit last week. The other side of this is that if the enemy can't get you to live wrong, to violate this God's standards, then what he will try to do is condemn you. That's also a way of getting into your heart. In both cases, what he's trying to do is to get you to put the armor down, to create a separation between you and God. And if you're not living right before God, if you're doing something that you know in your heart is not right, that's going to create a gap between you and God. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean the Spirit of God has come out of you. But what it does is it creates a gap in your confidence in God. Therefore, when you're under attack, you're not going to have confidence that God's going to defend you. But if you're living right before Him, not, not perfect, if you're living right before Him. Now that means, I, mean, I don't want to get off into this tonight, but I want to mention this. Well, I better not mention it because I'll get off into it. Because I want to get into something else. So if, 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 if He can't get you to do things wrong, what He's going to try to do is condemn you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We looked at this last time. Because in here there's a discussion. And this is a good example of what we're talking about tonight. Because as I explained to you last week and have on other occasions, this is a letter written to the churches that were in existence in the city of Corinth, which was in Greece. It's a very, very corrupt pagan city. In fact, one of the, one of the expressions of those days to describe people that were living corruptly was to Corinthianize. So they, were, they had such a reputation for living an ungodly lifestyle and a pagan lifestyle. 
In fact, the, 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 one of the major temples, the Temple of Diana, uh, that was in existence for pagan worship, was in this city. It was a Roman, head of the Roman colony. So it was like, a, it was like New York City or Paris, one of those, a city like that. And, and so Paul had come in there and started a number of churches, and he then left after the churches were established, and they stopped. They, they, all, they, there, were, there were some things that began to, some practices that began to creep into the church, some immorality. And one of the examples you see in 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul wrote them, is he says, there's a, there's, he says, I don't believe this, but there's somebody in your group that's basically shacked up with his mother and with his stepmother. And he says, and you haven't dealt with it. He says, if you don't deal with it, then I'm going to have to deal with it. And he says, if I deal with it, you're going to wish you dealt with it. Because what he says I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul will be saved in the day of judgment. Again, I don't want to go into this tonight, but God as a Father loves us so much that if we refuse correction and harden our heart and refuse to accept correction, first of all, from the Spirit of God, then God will send, if people are sensitive, people across your path to bring that correction. He'll bring the Word of God to bring you correction. In fact, Psalm 139 says, if he has to, he'll go to the gates of hell pleading with you. But Paul says, God loves you so much, I love you so much, that what I'll do if I have to is literally release your protection of your flesh so that Satan can have at you, so that you can physically die before you come to the place that your heart is so hard and you walk away from God. That's serious stuff. But it, see, I, I hear it as the measure of God's love. God will go that far. He don't want to go that far because He wants us to deal with things. And so Paul writes this letter, and that's what happens. The, guy doesn't, the guy's corrected. Basically, he has the, they, they repent. They deal with the sin in their, in their church. The man repents, and now Paul writes this to them about now how to handle him, to restore him to fellowship, lest, he, lest Satan have access to him, and he be so discouraged that he falls away. That's what the background here is. So Paul has written to the church to correct them. So let's pick up in verse 7. And not only by this coming, but also by the consolation which he com- with which he comforted you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning and your zeal for me. So he said, as I sent Titus to you, Titus has come back and reported that you've responded to my correction and that it's producing good things in you. Verse 8. For even if I made you sorry... So we're seeing Paul made them sorry. That was his purpose. With my letter, I don't regret it though I did regret it. In other words, I don't want to have to do this. I told you last week, it's like my mother used to say, this is going to hurt me more than you. And I didn't believe that for a second until I had to discipline our own children and found myself saying the same thing. I didn't want to spank them. I didn't want to discipline them. That's why when I drew a line, I was pleading, please don't cross that line because I don't want to have to do this. So it made me sorry to have to do it, but because I loved them, I was willing to do what was best for them. It was interesting because two of them were home over this last week, and they were recounting some of those times of love. But they were telling me, they're 30 years old now, how thankful that they are 
that we did that. They said, because there's things built into us. Now, these are 30-year-old, handsome, single men out there in a world. I remember we took them to public school for the first time. Their senior year had to go to public school, so we took them to the high school in Barrington. We took a tour, and as we're walking through the, the, the cafeteria at lunchtime, all the girls' heads go up like this. And when you're a mother and a father, you notice things like that. And I'll never forget, I was sharing this with them, this is 12 years later, taking them to college for that very first year and bringing them up to the dormitory and these other 18-year-old males descend on them and I realized that for the first time in their life, there's somebody else that's going to have a greater influence in their life than I do. That's a scary moment for a parent, especially when you're flying home 1,600 miles away. And at that point, you've got to trust what you put in them. Yes. And it's good to hear them bring back to you an expression of that appreciation because having been tested, they stood the test because of what was put in them. But it wasn't put in them because I like to. It was because we cared for them more than we cared for ourselves and therefore we were willing to do what was best for them and not what was best for ourselves. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said, it made me sorry to have to do this, but I'm not sorry that I did it. So when I hear those reports back from our children, I'm not sorry I did it. Verse, the rest of verse 9. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Notice there's a godly manner in which sorrow, or this is conviction. So the godly manner is conviction. The godly purpose for sorrow, for being sorry, is conviction. That you might, not, that you might suffer for loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance. That's the goal of conviction, is to produce repentance, leading to salvation. That's not just talking about whether you go to heaven or not. That's talking about deliverance, freedom. But, here's the other type, the sorrow of the world produces death. So where we left off last time, we were learning that when, when you begin to have this pressure on you that something's wrong, you're doing something wrong, there's, it can be one of two things. It can either be conviction or it can be condemnation. Conviction comes by the Spirit of God telling you you're off base, you're off base, you're off base. Now, I don't know how it operates now, but I remember that back when I was just gotten out of college and was in law school, I went through the Air Force ROTC, the, the, uh, and I remember on a training flight, they took us up in the cockpit and they were explaining to us the guidance systems and there was a thing called TACCAN, I think. I don't know what they use now. Link would know this stuff. And, and it was a way to tell you whether you're on track or not. I'm sure they have much more sophisticated things. But one of the things, if I remember correctly, was that there was a beacon that was sent out. And as long as you were on the right course, there was a particular sound. But if you got off that course the sound changed or some signal changed to tell you that you were off course. And that's what the Holy Spirit is in you. He is, he, he is, he is the, he, there's a course that's set for, by God for your life, a course of righteousness. And when you begin to get off course, there's a little beacon that's sent out. The beacon that's sent out when you're on course is peace. That's why Colossians says, let peace rule in your heart as an umpire. It says govern in your heart, but the word literally means in Greek as an umpire. It's not rule by dominating over. It's rule by saying fa- safe or foul. By, by safe, yeah, safe or out. 
fair or foul. It's ruled by saying you're either on course or you're off course. And peace is that beacon that says, ah, everything's on course. I'm okay. Not peace in your mind, peace in your spirit down inside. But when that peace gets off, when you begin to lose that peace, that's a signal from, from the, from the, that's a signal from the, from whatever it is that they, it comes from in the aviation, but it's a signal from the throne of God, oh, you're getting off course a little bit, you're getting off course a little bit, and that's what conviction is. It's, it, it's really your conscience. There's an old expression, let your conscience be your guide. Well, for somebody that doesn't belong to God, that's not necessarily reliable. But for somebody that has come to Christ, that's born again, God's nature has been birthed into you. And that nature, that is your conscience, it will tell you, you begin to tell you, oh, you shouldn't be watching that. You shouldn't be listening to that. See, it starts with little things. But a little course correction, if you don't make it, becomes a huge deviation 100 and 200 miles down the road. And I know there's a rule for this because Brent's told me what it is and Link's told me what it is and I forgot it. But the principle's true. If you get off course a little bit, by the time you're at 100 miles, you're way off course. So you need to learn to listen to that guidance system inside you that's beep, 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 beep. Some of you have a system in the back of your car. I have one on my bumper. If you get too close to something behind you, it starts going beep. Beep, 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 beep. When it goes, Dah! you're getting in trouble. You better know where that is. And so that's what the conviction is. It's to point you to something off. There's something wrong. Condemnation can set, feel like that if you don't know the difference, but it'll beat you down and beat you down and beat you down. Condemnation, if you're a Christian, does not come from inside of you condemnation comes from outside and it has a completely different purpose. And if you don't know the difference and you'll get them confused, you'll fall into the deceit and the trap of the enemy. So what I want to do is I want to go through and give you some, some symptoms to help you identify which one of the two this is, whether it's conviction or whether it's condemnation. And if to dis- discerning the difference, discerning which one's which makes all the difference in your life as to whether or not you're going to receive what God wants to work in your life, the fruit that God wants to work in your life, or you're going to receive the results of what Satan wants to work in you. And remember, we're in a spiritual battle. So what he's trying to do is to get at you with weapons. And condemnation is one of his weapons. All right. If you'd put that first slide up, we're going to see how technologically savvy I am. Hey, now, some of you may have trouble reading this because we couldn't get it large enough at this point, but we'll have other ways of getting it to you. So we're going to have two columns here. One is conviction, and the other is condemnation. They have two very different uh, things that they're after. So do the first one. Conviction has as its goal, and it may be hard for you to read, it, what it does is it challenges your behavior. What conviction is after is what you're doing. Ah, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be going into this place. You shouldn't be watching this. You shouldn't be talking this way. You shouldn't be associating with this. This conviction is trying to get your behavior 
to act like who you are. Paul, in, in a number of his letters, most of his letters that he writes are correcting churches. I don't know about you, that's reassuring to me that this is, the churches are only a few years old and he's already having to correct them. But his method of correcting is not by blasting them and saying, you bunch of turkeys, don't you know when I was there for three years, I taught you not to do that stuff and here I hear you're doing that. He doesn't do that. It doesn't work. Instead, what he does in most of his letters, you look at Ephesians 1 through 3. You look at Galatians. You look at Galatians 1, I think it's 1 through 3 also. You look at the beginnings of these letters, and Paul starts out by saying, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And he says, you know, from God our Father, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's made you to be sons and daughters of the living God. And he goes through all these lists of things God's done. Ephesians 1 is probably the richest. I mean, it's like a piece of cheesecake factory cheesecake. It is just rich with what God's done for us and His goodness for us. And he just pours it on in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he prays for them. And then in chapter 4, he says, Now because of that, this is how you should be acting. So he's bringing conviction to them by reminding, wait a minute, you're children of God. You should be acting like him in those situations. He says, put on Christ. Don't walk in strife. Be kind to one another. Put Christ on. In other words, that's who you are. Now act like him. So the goal of Paul is to challenge their behavior so that they'll change their behavior. Now hit the next one. Condemnation has as its goal, it attacks your nature. The message of condemnation goes at your character or at your nature. So instead of saying, look, you're a child of God, You should be acting differently. It says, there you go, doing it again, and basically saying, you're acting like that piece of junk you always knew you were. Because Satan's trying to get you to let down your armor. He's after your confidence. Both righteousness is connected to your confidence. So if you're not acting right, It lowers your confidence as it should until you deal with that, repent, correct what you're doing, and your confidence will be restored. But if you're not doing something wrong, then what Satan wants to do is to take that confidence away, get you to put that confidence down, and one of his methods is to condemn you by telling you, attacking your nature and character, you're nothing. You're nothing but a piece of junk. You're a failure. So what he does basically says, you're already acting like who you are. Whereas God says, you've stopped acting like who you are. So the message of condemnation is aimed at your nature and your character to tear it down. The goal of God's conviction is at your behavior so that you'll change it and begin to act like your nature, who you are. Everybody understand that? Yes. Okay. 
Therefore, the next one. Conviction motivates you to change your future. The message of conviction is always, first of all, confess it, repent of it. That deals with the past. Now let's change your future by changing how you're acting. So the voice of conviction is always in the future. It's now and in the future. Telling you what you need to be doing differently. Hit the next one. The message of condemnation reminds you of your past. Why does it remind you of your past? You can't do anything about your past. So your future you can change. But your past, you're chained to in the sense of your memory. Here's one clue. When the voice in your head says you did it again, that's never God. I'm going to say that again. When the voice in your mind says, there you go again, or it uses the word still, you're still doing that. That cannot be God. Because if you've confessed what you're doing and you've brought it to the cross and you've asked God to forgive you, 1 John 1, 9 says what? He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that when you confess your sins, God throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. That means in God's mind, you never did it. So he would not say, there you go again, because it's gone from his mind. I told you last week, when I would discipline our children, I would literally go in. I'm not going to do the whole thing that I did, but I would go in. I'd pray before I go in to make sure my motive and heart was right. I would go over what, they, what, they, what rule they broke because they needed to understand what standard that was set in this household that they had violated because otherwise they won't know how to correct it. Then I said, what I'm about to do is I'm about to spank you because this is your way of paying for it. Now, you'll pay for it. With, God's been paid for with the blood of Christ. But there's a penalty to your flesh for having violated it, and that's to train your flesh to not want to do it again. And once I'd finished that, they would, I'd have them confess to the Lord because they had sinned against Him as well as against our, their parents. And then what I would do is I would say, all right, now that, you've been, now that you've confessed it and repented, God's forgiven you and I've forgiven you. And I would hug them and minister love and I would look them in the eye and I said... I vow to you that from this moment on, I will never mention this to you again. Because in my mind and in the heart of God, it's gone. Now, I've got to live up to that. So I can't be saying, now you did it again, because then I undercut what they did. That's the heart of God. When you face it, repent of it, which means you've turned around. See, repenting doesn't mean you're sorry. Sorry means you're sorry you got caught. Yes. Come on. 
And that's part of it. But then you've got to be sorry that you violated God's standards because you hurt Him. We've talked about this. King David, his first words out of his mouth when he came face to face with the reality of what he'd done, said, I've sinned against my God. And that's what motivated him to change. But repent also means you've changed your mind, which means you've determined you're not going to do it again with the help and grace of God. And so, if that's true, the Bible says God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God's not going to bring your past up. But Satan will. Because what he's after is your confidence. He's after your confidence. Let's go to the next one. The goal of conviction is to have you act like God. In the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's around, Ephesians, around uh, Matthew uh, 6, somewhere in there, I think. No, it's 5. He says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. God expects us to live a holy life. Say, so I can't do that. Well, not on your own strength, no. But by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, you can. So God's goal is to challenge you to live like He does. And because He is just and fair, He would not challenge us and expect us to do something we're not capable of doing. But He doesn't expect you to do it in your strength. That's what grace is for. Grace isn't to look the other way when you've sinned. Grace is to empower you to live like Him. Now, it's a process. It's a process. So don't get condemned. (laughs) But the motive, the goal, is to change your behavior to act more like Him. Again, act more like who you are. Go to the next one. The goal of condemnation is to ultimately get you to let your armor down, to quit, to get so discouraged. I mean, one of Satan's devices is this. He'll run a thought through your mind. You know, you thoughts come from basically three places. You, they can come from God, and they can come from Satan's demons. You can't control the thoughts that come into your mind. Therefore, you're not responsible for what thoughts come into your mind. But you can control what you do with those thoughts. And you are responsible for what you do with the thoughts. Brother Hagin used to have a different expression, simpler. He says, you can't stop birds from landing in your hair, but you can stop them from nesting there. So I'm not responsible, but what the enemy will do, one of his devices, remember what we're studying, is his weapons are deceit, they're devices. One of his devices is to give you thoughts that you don't want, and then say, what kind of Christian are you for having those kind of thoughts? That's condemnation. What kind of Christian are you? What kind of... And then it'll get you to look all around you in church and say, nobody else has those kind of thoughts. (laughs) Everybody else around here, Joe, is just so holy. He's got his hands... He's on his knees before God. He never has any trouble with his thoughts. You know, all these sweet saints around. You're the only one that does that. Now think, when you think those thoughts... What's that heading towards? What's that encouraging me to do? Is that encouraging me to quit? Then that tells you where it's coming from. Because God doesn't want you to quit. 
God's goal is not for you to quit. Why would he have so many promises? We talked about many of them on Sunday to encourage you to overcome, to hang on, to complete, to overcome. So if this is encouraging you to quit, you know which side of the ledger it's on because its goal, his device is to say, ah, you're never going to make it. I mean, here you are doing it again. And I don't remember who it was. Somebody came to me recently. So if it's you're here tonight, I'm not thinking of you. But I thought immediately of the technique. Basically saying, I've gone through this over and over again, and here I am, I'm nowhere. I'm the same where I was three years ago. That's the devil. That's past. That's measuring your progress by your past. And I guarantee you that if you could look at it accurately, you'd find out that's not an accurate picture of your past. Because the, the underlying, the next reaction is, well, I need to quit. I'm never going to get there. See, he follows one voice, one message with another message. It's like leading an animal somewhere by leaving bait on the ground. And you just leave this bait here and you leave this bait here. But because the goal is you're trying to get them somewhere, trying to get them into the trap. Learning to recognize is this bait. And one of the signs is, see, sometimes you can't tell by looking at the thing itself because the Bible says about Satan that he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said that. And there is no truth in him. But that doesn't mean he won't use truth. If they're going to try to poison some animal, they don't buy plastic food and stick poison in it. They'll buy a real piece of meat and put the poison in that because the animal can tell the meat's real. It's just they don't recognize what's under, inside that meat because they don't recognize why that steak was given to them. The steak was not given to them to satisfy their appetite and to strengthen their body. The purpose of that meat was given to them was to kill them. It's in the same way Satan will use truth But the way you discern where it's come from is what's the result of this? What's this leading me to? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay. Okay. So the goal here is to get you to quit. Letting the armor down is quitting. Give up. You're never going to do it. You're never going to make it. That's condemnation. Next slide. You've got to learn to listen where the voices come from. Where the voices come from. Is it coming from your spirit down in here? And by voice, I don't mean like my voice. Where is this message coming from? This is important to learn. Because if you're a Christian, the Bible tells us that your spirit's reborn in God's nature and that God has taken His spirit and fused His spirit to your spirit. God's primary method of communication with you is His spirit communicates to your spirit. And that level of communication is perfect. The problem comes in taking that communication from your spirit 18 inches up into your brain and figuring out where it's coming from and what the message is. But in here, you have that message perfectly. Satan cannot speak to a Christian in his spirit because he doesn't dwell there. So he has to speak to you through your mind. So one of the ways of discerning is where am I sensing this? Where am I sensing this? I'll give you another. Some key words can help. My wife was talking the other day, and she said, she said, well, you know, she was, something was bothering her, and she's trying to discern, is this God or isn't this God? And so I just listened to her. 
You need to listen to yourself. I just listened to her. And she said, I said, well, where did this come from? Well, I thought this, and I said, whoops, stop there. You just gave the answer. If you go back and trace how it progressed in you, and one of the things, well, I thought, I had this thought, because where do you get thoughts? Here. That means you reasoned something. doesn't mean you're wrong, but it doesn't mean it's God speaking to you. Now, God may speak something to you, and then you may reason something about it. So it comes from your spirit. Now, the next one, which we've already kind of talked about. Condemnation is messages in your mind, thoughts. And they can be very subtle. Most of the time when I notice what's going on, as we'll talk about this in a second, I notice that my emotions are changing. I'm starting to feel discouraged. So I'll stop and go back and trace my thoughts back. You know, you have the DVRs nowadays. You can be watching a movie. Oops, I missed something. Now, we were, when we were in the, in, in the hotel at the convention last week, or I was watching something in the news or something like that, and I was answering a need, and, I, and I, I went to turn back, and I missed it. Oh, I said, I want to back, and I couldn't back because it was not a DVR there. It's amazing I get used to these things. And it's like, so, but you can do that with your mind. You can learn to do that. Go, and you replay it. And you do it on the pause advance where it's slow frame by frame. Ah. You begin to hear, what kind of thoughts have I been having? Have they been thoughts about me? Because that's almost always not God. Especially when they're negative ones. See? You're never meant anything. You're not getting anywhere. You know people that at your age are further down the road than you are. Notice that's attacking your character. That's condemnation. The next one. Conviction. The voice is going to have a sense to it of gentleness. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He prompts you. He encourages you. He, he may poke at you a little bit, but he'll try to lead you. If you just say no, he'll be quiet. What that says is voice and then dash gentle prompt. Gentle prompting. A gentle prompting. He leads you. He guides you. The example that Jesus uses is in John chapter 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. That's a good thing for you to confess over yourself. I hear his voice. I hear his voice. Because I guarantee you, guarantee you, most of you get thoughts telling you, you don't hear his voice. I can't hear God. I don't ever hear God. Listen to, your, listen to what you're saying about yourself. You're planting your own seed in your mind. John chapter 10 says, My sheep hear my voice. Now, you may need to learn how to listen better, but you can hear his voice because you're his sheep. The other one, the next one. This says voice, this is of condemnation, dash, hard and pressure. The voice of Satan. And again, you're not hearing directly from him. It's his minions. It's his demons. There's a pressure in it. It's a pressure in it. It's a pressure in it. It's a pressure in it. Pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. Pushing you down, pushing you forward. Pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. Okay, go on to the next one. This is another slide. This one, another way is, we've kind of covered some of them. This is the look at the fruit. One way to say, what, what's this producing in me? What's this producing in me? So hit the first one. Well, the Bible says, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, that you shall know the truth, and the truth 
shall set you free. Notice it's not the truth. It's the only truth that sets you free is the truth you know. John eight thirty one and 32. Because God only speaks truth, that truth should set you free. Now, sometimes the truth that sets you free of is the sin that you're in. So that's what conviction will do. Conviction will say, mm, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be talking that way. That was gossip. And you're just, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. That's conviction. And then when finally you address it and you realize, hey, I had a conversation with somebody and I didn't gossip, it's freeing. Because sin is a form of bondage, especially to a Christian. It's against your nature. It's against your nature to sin. Not against your flesh, against your nature to sin. And when that, that conviction deals with it, even sometimes it has to cut a little, it sets you free. There's a freedom in it. The next one. But condemnation has as a fruit bondage. Bondage. I'm never going to get out of this. I'm caught in this for the rest of my life. I go around in the same circle over and over again, doing the same thing wrong. I'm never going to get out of this. I've been a Christian 20-some years, and I haven't improved. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's bondage. Next slide. Next slide. Next one. The Word of God produces faith. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So when God speaks to you, it will produce faith. I remember when I, God... Uh, well, we've got to move on. When God speaks to you, it will produce faith. Faith comes from hearing God. Hit the next one. Condemnation produces fear. One great way to gauge who you've been listening to is if you're afraid. You cannot be in the presence of God and be afraid. 1 John chapter 4 says, perfect love casts out fear, and He's perfect love. So you can't be hearing from God and being afraid. So that means you're hearing from somebody else. Hit the next one. One of the fruit of conviction is life. John 10.10 says, that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So conviction brings life, because God is life. Freedom, life. Hit the next one. But the rest of John 10.10 says, But the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So ask yourself, is this stealing something from me? I'm not talking about best things. I'm talking about your walk with God, your confidence. Is it killing something in me? Is it destroying something in me? It says John 10.10, steal, kill, and what I couldn't get in there is destroy. Hit the next one. Hope. When God speaks to you, it produces hope. See, when God speaks to you, He's telling you, you can do better. You can do that. So it gives faith that I can change and hope out there that I can be better. I can be what I see I want to be. Because God believes in you. See, God believes in you more than you do. Not, God doesn't have confidence in your flesh or your determination. God has confidence in the work He's done in you. Because Ephesians 2.8 says, you are His workmanship. 
You are God's workmanship. And he has confidence in his own workmanship. So it says, hope. I'm going to run these off and we'll have them at the book table next time. At the, um, at the information booths. Hit the next one. The, the, the fruit of, of condemnation is discouragement. One of the major ones. You just want to quit. You're discouraged. You hang your head low. You don't even want to come to church. You don't want to pray. Now, who do you think wants that in your life? Doesn't want you talking to anybody? Who do you think wants to produce that? Where do you think that's coming from? Well, we think it's because we're giving an honest look at ourselves. No! It's a device, a wile, a trick, a deceit, a weapon of the devil. And the breastplate of righteousness stops that. Hit the next one. And ultimately, the fruit of conviction draws you closer to God. Gets the stuff out of the way that's been keeping you from Him. He feels so good when He's corrected you. I remember one time years ago is, is, is one, of our, one of our sons, I, it was, something had happened. He'd been really good for a long period of time and something happened and I don't know, whether it was the, I don't know what it was, but I, I had to administer the loving rod. And I went in there and he looked at me with tears in his eyes after I'd done it and I thought he was crying because I'd spanked him. He said, I'll never forget this. He says, I was beginning to wonder whether you still loved me. This was from an 8-year-old. No, excuse me, a 12-year-old. I was beginning to wonder whether you still loved me. This is from a child who's just been spanked. If you do it the right way, it communicates I care. I mean, even with our 30-year-old, we, we grill them when they come home. You're still doing this? You're still reading your Bible? You know, it's just, you know, they're going through a checkup with their parents. And they kind of look at you and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, I'm sorry. They said, no, 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 no. We don't mind. It shows that you care about us. Draws us closer to him. And hit the, la- la- the last one. Well, the result of condemnation is it drives you further away from him. So if it's leaving you in bondage, if it's creating fear, if it's creating discouragement, if, you're, if it's creating you feeling further away from God, there's a, good, there's a good likelihood that you're not hearing God's voice talking to you. But it's condemnation. And condemnation does not come from God. It is a weapon, a device and deceit of the enemy. Then what do you do? What do you do when you realize I'm being beaten down? I'm being, and the, this, the, this weapon's getting through to me. I'm being stabbed. I'm being sliced up with condemnation. You put on the breastplate of righteousness that says that, that, says that, uh, that, that uh, he who knew no sin, Romans, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You start speaking the words out of your mouth of who you are. I had to do it this morning when I got up. I had to do what I tell you to do. I looked in the mirror and I said, you are a child of God. The spirit of the living God dwells in you. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. You were the head and not the tail. You were above and not belief. Well, that discouragement just went poof. It shows you how real it was. You can't talk yourself out of conviction because it's in here. You can ignore it and harden your heart to it, but you can't talk yourself out of it because it'll keep coming back to you. It'll keep, it, won't, it, won't, it won't hit you, but it'll just keep coming back up in you. And it's just subtle, you know. You're minding your own business, driving along, Hopefully, hopefully you're minding a business driving along. You're not texting. <laughs> you're not, are you? It's against the law. You're driving along, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, this thought comes to you. You know, I, I, 
I need to stop. I need to stop talking about that person. I just, you know, I just, you know, you may have been just talking about them, didn't bother you, but later on the, the conversation, that's the spirit of God convicting you. And we realize God's talking to me. Wow, God's. I don't ever hear from God. Maybe it's because when He's talking to us, we don't want to hear you're talking about somebody you shouldn't be talking about. <laughs> But if you're driving along and you feel like, oh, I don't want to go to church tonight. I just, I just feel like I'm junk. I don't, you know who's been talking to you. So you pick up the breastplate and you poke on the breastplate. See, the breastplate on the outside looks like Christ. The breastplate on the outside looks like Christ because it's His righteousness. So now the devil comes up against you and tries to tell you you're a piece of junk. He's got to look at that breastplate that looks like Christ. You ever see the armor of these guys in the old days? Yeah. They're jacked up. I don't know what the guy looked like on the inside. But boy, they, you know, they didn't make that armor look like he was, you know, the 100-pound the, the you know, weakling. It made him look like he was Hulk Hogan you know, in metal. You know, just, you know, really, you know, ripped. You know, you see the, you know, just chest out like that. Inside he may have been a 90-pound weekly. But you couldn't tell that because the armor made him look like somebody else. And when you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling beaten down and you realize, wait a minute, is this conviction? No, this is not conviction. Therefore, I'm not going to answer it. Don't answer it. Don't argue with it. You can't win an argument with the devil. Pick up. Your breastplate of righteousness, which is the Word of God, the Scriptures of who God says you are. And begin to talk from the inside like what it says you are on the outside. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm a child, I'm a child of the living God. Wow! Watch out, devil, you've run into him before. That's putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We'll pick up here next time and go on to the next. Father, we thank you tonight that you love us so much that you have provided for us what we need. You provided for us the armor. You've given us instructions. As we go into the rest of this week, we recognize that we will go back out of here still in the spiritual warfare. It will not end until we leave this world. But your word says, not only we can we, but you expect that we will overcome. Father, help us to recognize the devices of the enemy in our lives and help us to begin to recognize the armor that you've given us and to see in our daily lives the opportunities to put it on, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and to overcome. Thank you for that wisdom and discernment and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.